0: This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level.
1: Hey, traders, this is Eddie Horn from Top Step, and this is Limit Up. This is where we talk with traders, market participants, and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading. Now, today, I'm joined by by Mark Meadows, my producer and one of the folks working on our Forex team. And I'd like to say, hello, Mark. Hey, Eddie. Mark, today I'm talking with John Kicklighter, a trader and lead analyst at Daily FX. Now, I know you've recently started writing a weekly column for Daily FX. Can you give us some
0: insight? Yeah, for sure. So um, the first thing I would say, if, if you're a Forex trader and you are not Um, reading daily FX, you're really missing out. And I think that uh, this interview with John will give you some of the insights into what they talk about there and and how they really look at the market in an interesting way. As for me, what I write about with them is more focused on the future side of things. So take a look at some things like the commitment of traders reports and uh, Forex volume on forex uh currency futures and then kind of try and uh look at what that may say about where where prices are going so uh you know volume's one of those things eddie where in a market like uh in an over-the-counter market like forex it's it's tough to gauge so you really have to look at those currency futures all right thanks mark all right uh let's kick things off here
1: this is my conversation with john kicklighter John Kicklighter is a senior currency strategist and head of the Daily FX, where he specializes in combining fundamental and technical analysis with money management. Actively trading since he was a teenager, his experience ranges from spot currency, financial futures, commodities, stocks, and options on all these instruments for his personal account. He holds a finance and investment degree from Zicklin School of Business at the Baruch College in New York City. Would you please welcome John Kicklider? Hi, John. How's it going? How are you today? Doing well. Very nice to have you here. And uh, uh, let, let's let's start out with uh, Forex. Now, Forex, one of your main products that you watch?
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Now, we really haven't had much of a touch with uh, forex traders and I think this is going to be a a bright light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of us. So this is uh, I'm excited about this.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a natural product and I can tell you that from a person who has started really in other instruments. I used to do a lot of uh, futures trading and a lot of options trading on equities uh, to begin my career and it's just a natural segue it's uh, i think one of those dominant uh, big picture global macro things that make it actually a little bit easier than some of my other more complicated and uh, particular derivatives
1: All right, fantastic now we're 9 months into 2018 the year's almost over but the dollar's 2017 downtrend still a little perplexing now if, if you could john walk us through the last year of the market, and one of the questions that that comes up was, uh, was it a Trump wanting a weaker dollar?
2: Well, Trump actually didn't say he wanted a weaker dollar until recently. Um, We also had a couple of his uh, key administration officials, like uh, the Treasury Secretary, say that they're backing away or just doing it uh, by virtue of their actions away from that strong dollar policy. So not necessarily an outright, I want to see my dollar lower. A lot of this actually has to do, I feel, with uh, the relationship that it holds to its major counterparts. If you look at the Euro-USD, for example, the Euro has done exceptionally well. And not just against the U.S. dollar, it's done well against most of its counterparts. And it has done so in large part because of anticipation, speculation. Uh, We do a lot of uh, pricing through quantitative methods in FX. So one of the key things that we use, kind of like a dividend forecast for uh, pricing out equities, we do carry trades. So the interest rate forecast and interest rates as we currently have them in the U.S. versus other countries. But while the U.S.-based interest rate is perhaps the most appealing, it's the highest of the majors, uh, you're still talking about 2% per annum. That is not a great return, and no one's really going to bend over backwards to chase that down. But what they will chase, just like they do with equities, is the capital gains potential. So you see something like the S&P 500, no one's in it for the dividends, they're in it for the buy low, sell high, or actually in this in this environment it's more buy high, sell higher. People are doing the same thing for the uh, for the FX market. They're looking for the euro to actually just advance because the hope that one of its, uh, uh, it will eventually have one of its own rate hikes. And that might not be a great return, but that's not what people are looking for.
1: Now, uh, recently we've seen the D's uh, dollar index slightly lower, and uh, that was in uh, the early trading. The bulls still have the overall near term technical advantage, but trading has been choppy recently. What do you see down the road?
2: I think the dollar is really going to struggle, actually. Um, Having the U.S. dollar engaged in so many uh, fronts on the trade war. So if it were just controlled to the U.S. and China, that might be something they can tolerate, they can handle, because no one's really going to get all up in arms in the, the developed world that the U.S. is going after China for some of its trade practices. But with the U.S. going also after uh, the EU and Japan verbally, uh, but also the NAFTA counterparts uh, and actions, it's a little bit more difficult. And what ends up happening, and this is a big picture consideration, you have the situation where... You're going to have uh, a world that's trying to move away from the U.S. dollar, subtly at first, but it's going to pick up steam. This is something they're already going to do big picture. There's also the case that, yeah, it has the highest interest rate, but that also puts it at greater risk, considering that if you have risk aversion, the Fed's going to start stalling on its hikes, and it has the most to lose versus others that haven't even hiked rates as of yet.
1: Now you do share a lot of information throughout the day and we'll get to that a little later but one of the things that uh, uh, as I did read what you were talking about and it's a little shocking it's an eye opener uh, you're talking about the US has already implemented metal tariffs on China uh 50 billion for the intellectual property theft it's now deliberating another 200 billion after public feedback and Trump threatened 267 billion more it's over 517 billion. Now, what the eye opener is is U.S. imports of Chinese goods last year was 505.6 billion. What is this coming to? What are we going to be seeing here?
2: I think this is more of an escalation. I think it was a, a calculation error uh, on on Trump's part, but it's it's still just a uh, a law of large numbers kind of pressure. They're trying to. Force them into a stance of negotiation. Uh, the interesting thing is that uh, China is already can't do a tit for tat if they go forward with 200 billion because China only imports less than 200 billion total from the United States. So it's going to have to move to some other even further unorthodox uh, retaliatory efforts and then it's just gonna get more complicated so I think the the US is doing kinda like we often do the shock and awe strategy just on economic approach this time and they're just trying to force China to to negotiate more favorably towards them
1: now it seems strange that one day we're talking about the euro US dollar parity and then two months later the huge counter trend starts particularly as the fed kept its course on interest rates now uh, sort of kicking it in into a different gear. What happened there?
2: So, the euro USD is the most liquid currency cross in the world, and arguably one of the most liquid assets out there. If you consider exchange rates an asset, uh, it goes back to that interest rate uh, parity concern that you have, and it's also uh, a question of where do you want to uh, where do you want to park your capital, uh, and we get into the situation of political stability questions. Global investors, do they want to put their money into the U.S. when there are uh, not capital controls but something that acts very much like capital controls with the Trump administration uh, placing taxes on capital being moved outward uh, and encouraging inwards? Or you're going to move it to the EU, which is, uh, I guess, a little b- bit more traditional. But in reality, they're also having a lot of systemic stability questions, especially with Italy. And uh, they did some, uh, they they did a rebuke of Hungary recently. So it's a question of where do I want to park my money? Uh, the U.S. dollar counts for about 65 uh, percent of total transactions done in the world, uh, in currency terms, uh, and the euro is about 35. So everything else after that is eight or eight percent or below. Uh, and that really speaks to you have two options uh and it's a it's a truly monumental task to move capital away from one of those two options. But they are fairly interchangeable when you have situations like trade wars, when you have situations like political risk, when you have situations like uh, unique individual risks like recessions in one of the regions or the other. Uh, And this is just a bouncing back and forth. If you look at like a monthly chart of the Euro-USD, it is moving within a broad range in between major issues. Uh, So we had uh, back in 2014, Euro-USD was up at 140. And back then, the euro's in recovery mode from its own sovereign debt crisis. And the ECB stepped out and suggested that if uh, we continue to advance, we're going to implement uh, policies, stimulus and rate cuts, to drive our currency lower. So it's always just moving back and forth between these kind of big picture fundamental themes. We're just in between uh, a brand new one.
1: Something down the road, and we're going to be talking probably about that again, there's another new one and another new one. To set yourself up as a trader, to look down the road, to look ahead for that next
2: trade, how do you do that? It's a good question. Uh, you always – well, I am – a person that started in technical. So I'm a a, a true believer in technical analysis, but I also have found over time that fundamentals is much more appropriate for motivation. So when you're looking for not just that technical break, but you're looking for that follow through, you need to find the thing that would motivate the most people to boost that asset or just sell it off. Uh, And Fundamentals is really, really um, scary for many people. They think it's too convoluted, too difficult. It's not for me. It's for everyone. Uh, If I can do it, anybody can do it. You just need to be able to identify what is likely to be the most important thing to the broadest percentage of the market. And let's say for the U.S. dollar, if you're kind of conflicted about what should I be following, uh, you know, political risk, trade wars, uh, the Fed's policy bearings, well, those things can interchange. But if right now the big picture is a a threat of over $500 billion in tariffs against China and other uh, economic war against other countries, it's going to be trade wars. So you you follow that. And uh, those aren't considerations that will resolve themselves in a day or even a week, they will play out over time. So if you can identify that top fundamental thing and keep tabs on it, you're going to be in a very good position to set at least your fundamentals, and then you cross-check it against technicals, and it sets up great trades.
1: You know, you're know, you talking about uh, the, um, China, the trade wars, trade disputes – uh we're seeing the emerging market currencies imploding uh brexit negotiations now there seems to be a lot of geopolitical risk out there right now but the markets don't seem to be worried now for a trader out there how do you start to make sense of all this
2: well we do have a and this is all a rise of a sense of populism uh, which is kind of like i want my country to do well and i don't care about the rest of the world kind of mentality and you can't really have a few do this. If if it goes down that route, everyone has to be in that setting. Otherwise, they sacrifice uh, their own country for the betterment of another country that is pursuing that kind of view. Uh, y- you just need to, at that point, if everyone is engaging, you just have to know who has the bigger guns and what they're doing to uh, to pressure that. And when it comes to the global uh, economy, it's either the United States, uh, who is the largest player in the largest financial system or you look at the collective response to them. Uh, You have to look at it in that global macro picture. And it actually, it it seems uh, convoluted, it seems complicated, but when you get to that kind of uh, situation, that that stage of the game, it's actually much more refined because you know that this is just one country versus the other and who has the ability to move the market.
1: Uh, Bank of England, uh, ECB, at their meetings How are these central banks driving prices?
2: So they've done a lot of uh, motivation for their currencies, uh, sometimes outright. In the past, um, they will either say it outright, like the ECB did back in 2014, as I, I gave in the previous example, or the Bank of England, which will do it to give themselves a cushion, not saying that this was the the motivation to give an FX cushion for Brexit uncertainties. Uh, but they're more interested in normalizing their monetary policy. the the, the world central banks are all in, essentially. Even the Fed, uh, I know it's high a few times and it's uh, reduced its balance sheet a little bit but these, uh, th- that is just as much a, uh, an overexposed central bank with little recourse if there's another financial crisis in the future as any of the others. What they really want to do is move back from this uh, this extreme exposure position because they have no other tools or resources if they're needed. So they're trying to, f- to find a path out of this exposure just like a trader. I, I have a huge position on I'm incredibly exposed to the market I need to move back so that I can execute. I've I've dry powder to move on. Um, And their interests are going to be uh, how can I hike rates? How can I reduce my balance sheet without triggering a sense of risk aversion? Because investors have grown really, really dependent upon my presence to keep stability in this market. Oh, yeah. And that's that's difficult to do. I mean, they've they've. You know, they, they've built their own issues, so now they have to live with it, but uh, that is truly the big-picture risks that uh, they're trying to move away from. The ECB and the BOE are not going to hike at these meetings. They're going to just uh, essentially give cues to the market, and sometimes in central banks speak, so you kind of have to interpret uh, whether they can hike in the future or whether they're going to back away from those uh, possibilities with the rise of uncertainties like trade wars. Now,
1: do you think, uh, I know the Fed term kicked the can down the road, Uh, you think this is sort of playing out also with the ECB as we see it?
2: Yeah, the ECB. Uh, the ECB is one of those central banks that really needs to uh, back away. They need to uh, get out of these extreme monetary policy exposures that they have. They they really can't afford to be this exposed, but they have little recourse. So the best thing they can do is just evaluate for later, um, and they'll keep pushing it. And uh, you add in the risk aversion to this mix, and unfortunately, they're just going to uh, – their opportunity to actually tighten, completely gone. All right
1: Now – Markets, election, uh, direction. Now, are are the markets, let me ask you this, uh, are the markets looking towards the election here in the U.S. yet? I mean, what's your take on that? And if so, how do you think we might see these markets playing out if they are, in fact, looking at the election?
2: The funny thing is that you know partisan and political interests are really pervasive in the social uh, world and you know in our twitter feeds and on our facebook pages but when it comes to markets that doesn't really translate into good trading and those that actually pursue it they're going to get a nasty surprise that what they think is the good policy is not actually what is motivating uh, trading it's not going to lead to those good positions um, I think that absolutely the market is paying attention to the upcoming elections in the United States but not in the way that perhaps many think it is uh, so one of the ways that I think is very uh, prominent is obviously the US is considering those 200 billion in additional tariffs against China. It's going to be really difficult to pursue those heading into the election, uh, considering that it does con- carry a significant negative implementation or uh, implication for consumers, U.S. consumers. Uh, the higher cost of goods, the pain that it uh, gives uh, groups like the farmers who are impacted by the retaliatory tariffs from China, uh, they're going to want to probably ease back on the pressure. And if that's the case, it actually leads to a little bit of perhaps. Uh, Lifting the clouds, a little bit more risk appetite, perhaps a little bit of a rebound for the U.S. dollar. But I've long ago uh, done away with the reasonable expectations for these kind of policy approaches. I've seen some crazy turns, and they've created some serious volatility.
1: That's, I'll agree with you, that's
2: being safe. (laughs) Yeah, it's better to be safe. It's better to be safe.
1: (laughs) John, I know you cover and look at various different markets to get insight on where particular currency pairs are going, Uh, gold, oil, other pairs. Now, what's a good process for thinking about correlating markets?
2: So one thing to be weary of before you even get and go down that road is uh, correlation is not necessarily causation. People get that mixed up a lot, and they think that because one market is moving in a certain way that it's going to have to influence another market in the same manner, and that's not the case. Uh, but there are certainly correlations that arise because of similar uh, influences. So if I'm talking about trade wars, obviously that has an impact on the products that are under- uh, under those tariffs, uh, it has an impact on, let's say, car uh, producers in the United States because of the higher cost of steel and aluminum. It also has an impact on the likes of the Australian dollar. So, how do we come to that? Well, uh, oftentimes we can just do the empirical. We can just look across a lot of charts and see what's moving with this sudden announcement, uh, which is very inefficient. Uh, but if you you know if you're engaged in the markets for ten plus hours a day, like I am, that that, that usually is a a viable solution. But more often, it's just it's the thought process, thinking about uh, what is related and how it might be related. And if you expect that the Australian dollar might have an exposure to China uh, because it is a huge exporter to China, and thereby a lot of its GDP is dependent upon that particular country in the uh, under the pressure of trade wars, then let me let me check that out. Let me look at the correlation between these. Let me see the particular response during these important pieces of event risk that are related to trade wars, and then just tested empirically Um, a lot of this is it comes from uh, intuitive sense Uh, you just you you reason that this is something that should respond to this particular influence and oftentimes it will And if it doesn't just move on to the next one
1: now using it day to day in trading. Are you sort of waiting for the green light? You got the, the yellow light, yellow light waiting for these markets to start to pair up, start to correlate. I notice that uh, you know every once in a while you'll have the Dow and the S&P or the Dow and the NASDAQ or the NASDAQ and the S&P and uh, the, here we call them the sisters because they like to sort of move in the same direction. But sometimes there's always that one sister that uh, doesn't agree with the other two. Now, what am I looking for each day to get myself set for correlating markets?
2: So first is to understand that there are certainly big picture correlations. So uh, one of the ones that I like to look at most frequently is just a sense of risk trends. So equity indices obviously are within that. If you have a strong rise in risk appetite, it doesn't matter what kind of market you're in. You know the equity indices are probably going to rise with that. If there's strong risk aversion, they're going to sink for it. The same is true of things like emerging markets, high yield fixed income, uh, looking into in the FX world carry trade. Uh, these assets will all generally move in tandem. So as long as you know that that is a truism, it's a it's a general theme that exists over time. So long as you can actually uh, set that expectation, you just wait until there's a motivation to expect it to be active, because obviously risk trends, for example, aren't always clearly bullish, clearly bearish. Sometimes they are kind of mixed and neutral, and that's what leads to a lot of that disparity between uh, the three U.S. equity indices. Um, But... When you see something that really motivates, let's say, a trigger for risk aversion, there's the threat of emerging market contagion, for example, you know that most things risk-oriented are going to drop. You wait for that that cue, that known high-probability catalyst, and then you see those things that have uh, essentially deviated uh, from their natural risk course, let's say... Uh, emerging markets in the U.S. Uh, S&P 500, you know that they're probably going to re- converge. Uh, the one that's going to converge the fastest is the one that's uh, got the most premium behind it, but they will come together. So if you don't want to just take an outright risk aversion position, so an outright, let's say, short on the S&P 500, you can pair it off with the already discounted uh, I don't know, EEM, the emerging market ETF, and it can help uh, curb some of that risk
1: let's talk about retail day traders now one thing i love about daily fx is that it really speaks to the audience bringing some of the tools and insights in an easy term and an easy way to understand what you're talking about now why do you think so many retail forex traders struggle if you've got maybe like the top three reasons and we can break them down
2: Sure, and thank you for the the, the references. Um, oh,
1: you know what? Hold on, we're going to be talking about daily FX because it is honestly
2: a very good tool to follow throughout the trade day. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, our tagline is uh, uh, "Trade research written by traders uh, for traders." So uh, we try to make it. You know, I, I started when I was sixteen, so I, I know. I know how the entire cycle is of most traders, and I know the the troubles and tribulations that we have, not just the successes. I'll tell you that uh, some of the things that I've learned over time, uh, and we've really learned from seeing so many different uh, retail traders and their highs and lows, uh, that there are Pretty common errors um, that we can work. I mean, there's no simple solution, but we can work towards improving them. One is uh, getting out uh, the emotions. Uh, Emotions uh, cloud us, and uh, you know, uh, revenge trading. You know, I'm sure you've heard about this. I I can tell you that this happens to me just as much as anybody else, and it takes a lot to to prevent it from happening. Uh, You have situations like uh, the the number of uh, so. People will often look for, I want 100% accuracy, uh, so I want uh, 100% winners, and that's what they go for. Obviously, it's not going to happen if anybody says that that's happening after you know more than 10 trades and they're liars. Um, you need to instead balance the reality and understand the percentages. You're going to have good uh, winners, sure, but you also have to balance it out with the size of those winners, the average size of the winners, uh, and we find that that's a, a big problem with people. They just get so obsessed with it. it has to be a winner that they'll cut out, you know, after ten pips, and that's that's not going to get you a winning uh, strategy over time. And other issues, I mean, they're, they're numerous. Uh, just getting analysis overload happens to be one of the big ones. And this, you know, most people think, oh, this is this is the fundamental trader's issue. It's actually largely the technical trader's issue. They just don't appreciate that they're doing it. Uh, and I I know this all these things from experience. So it's not just uh, observation, it's experience. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's experience, and if you are new to trading, You've got to realize that you need to experience this. You need to experience the emotions. Um, You know, like they say, leave your ego at the door, all right? As a new trader, as a professional trader, I mean, it still happens. I've been in the business 30-plus years, and the thing is about leaving your ego at the door, sometimes uh, you forget to lock the door, the ego comes in, and uh, now, like you mentioned, you're over-trading. But the thing is, with an experienced trader, I found myself catching myself uh, a lot quicker and uh, you know you can turn things around a lot better and then also accepting losses that is a very i think that's one of the hardest things is accepting a loss but that's part of the business it's a professional uh ball player, a professional pitcher. I mean, you've got the best of the best striking out. You've got the best pitcher on the mound giving up home runs. The best quarterback in the league throwing interceptions. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's part of the process and you know, we learn from that. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. It just sort of solidifies uh, the reason why we need to watch that.
2: Yeah, if you if you go into this from the very start and you allow yourself that I'm going to have some losing trades and that's okay. I'm going to learn from them best I can. Uh, then you're going to be in a position to really. So you, you you give the example that sometimes I find myself in a bad trade get out. You don't have to ride it out just because uh, I, I you know, I have to. My, my ego's on the line. I cannot let myself lose a trade. That's going to be a loss later on in a bigger size, or you can take it right now and you, you recognize, I made a problem, or I made a mistake, and I can correct that for the future. And sometimes there isn't anything that I did in my process that was wrong, just the markets didn't work out. And that's okay. Repeat that for the next time, and it will work out as long as it's a good strategy.
1: All right excellent advice excellent uh, now John we talked about fundamentals you brought that up a lot but let's move to technicals all right what are some of your favorite technical indicators or your favorite technical setups Sure.
2: So one thing that I'd point out at the very beginning is, you know, in spot effects, technical analysis works just as well as anywhere else. And that's because it's a universal language. And one of, one of the reasons why I always use technical analysis, um, I've from the very beginning, I started in technical analysis, and I went way down that rabbit hole. I used to get into the really complicated stuff. I even got into the point where I was making my own indicators with, you know, 20 or 30 different criteria to them. Uh, And, you know, I got into the algorithm stuff, so it it became more uh, functional and probable to do something like that. And I recognized that I was just going overboard, and I was just adding way too much to the mix. Uh, I was adding indicator upon indicator upon indicator, and I definitely had far fewer trades because I had to run a gauntlet of filters, Uh, but the... Ultimate outcome of those trades, the success, the win ratio, did not improve materially. But since I had so much, so many fewer trades, so like one out of every ten that I was taking previously, I was definitely seeing my profitability shrink uh, because my account just wasn't growing over the year. So. I've decided and I decided this, you know, 5 6 years ago that I'd really cut back and go simplistic on technical analysis. I'm something of a believer that a lot of technical analysis is self-fulfilling prophecy. So if everyone sees that 200-day moving average and heck, it even gets into the top uh, the top headline of the the Wall Street Journal, then people are going to respond to it more readily. You have to remember that not not everyone who's participant to this market actually looks at charts. Central banks don't look at charts. Uh, major uh, banking institutions don't look at charts. Uh, it's usually just us, the uh, the retail trader, or even some large speculators that look at charts and we respond to it. It actually plays out that way. Uh, but sometimes our influence is enough that we can actually trigger some significant moves. So I look for things that combine well with fundamentals, that motivation I talked about earlier. Uh, so I'll look for typically, trend lines moving averages i look for consolidation moving to breakout of course, a breakout is not a trend, so you have to really qualify it. Uh, but at the very least, that's at least an early signal that it could be a trend. Uh, so I look for the really simplistic patterns, and I build upon them. And I'll still, you know, I'll still consult my my average true range, my ATRs. I'll consult the oscillators, the MACDs, and the RSI's. Uh, but I, I I try to st- stay away from those really complicated ones because when I when I do dive into the Elliott wave or the Gann wave series, I end up recognizing I'm just trying to bend over backwards to justify a trade that probably isn't going to work for me so I should probably just take a step back and let it pass and look for the next one
1: all right we used to see on the trading floor you're bending over backwards to tie your shoe <laughs> so I, and the thing is too with traders there's so many indicators out there it, it it's like a kid in a candy store and what happens when you eat too much candy at least in my experience as a kid growing up you get sick same situation what I like to tell traders is there's a lot of information out there. Be a sponge, absorb as much as you can, but only use what works. File everything else. you know, Put it all in the file and take it out when you need it. And maybe this might work down the road, but it's not working now. Put it back in the file. Bring it back out months later. Maybe the market changes. Maybe a week later. And utilize what you have. But when there's too much in front of you it's just really confusing
2: yeah information overload you just i absolutely agree you 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 take in as much as you can because you you never know you might think you have the best indicator the best pattern or the best fundamental view and then somebody comes along or something comes along and says this is uh, you know better adopt that. Uh, Forget that old thing. You don't need that. You have something better. Uh, And you should be freely interchangeable and refine, refine, refine. Um, And realize that we do sometimes have markets who arrange, trend, breakout. Uh, If you recognize yourself in a range situation, don't sit and use the usual trend indicators, use your range indicators. Uh, because obviously you're going to get a lot of false signals on uh, the starts of trades that never sh- uh, trends that never show up. And that's a lot of losses you can avoid.
1: John, what do you think about timeframes and the technicals that you use? Um, how do you set those up? How do you get those ready for a trade?
2: So I usually, I used to be... Well, I've gone from very big position trading, and I used to do that more when I was in my options times, uh, and I went all the way down to the really scalping uh, timeframes. And when I say scalping, I I mean not, you know, those intraday uh, uh, swing trades that people usually mislabel as scalping. I'm talking about in five seconds and then your trade's complete. So I've gone the entire range, and uh, I... I really have a lot of stress, and I don't want to have a heart attack in my 30s, so I moved away (laughs) from the low end. Uh, and I just I get so in- in- impatient at the very high end so I decided that my best time frame is more in the in the realm of uh, trades that play out in about two days up to two weeks um, so for that obviously if you, you expect your trade to take that much time to play out then that I think sets the time frame for you I look at daily candles primarily for uh, four hour candles on the lower end and at the higher end always knowing that there might be some big levels or big indicators on perhaps a weekly chart but you you don't have to do that as frequently when you're looking within that time frame.
1: Now, if you had one technical setup to trade, what would it be and why?
2: It would probably be... Range, uh, just a very clear range. And I almost said head and shoulders patterns. And, you know, it, the, the appetite for those is obviously you're looking for reversals. And I'm not just saying any and all head and shoulders patterns because they, they, they tend to show up all the time. But we don't actually find good head and shoulders patterns. Like all the elements, the build up to actually, actually reverse, people find head and shoulders patterns at the bottom of trends, and that's not a head and shoulders pattern. Um, it, but when I look for that, I'm trying to pick a top. And trying to pick tops is never, it's a low probability, low statistical game. But when you have a really established range, people get bored about that because they say, this is not going to move fast, this is not going to move far, so I'm just going to stay on the sidelines until that, that big breakout or that big trend or that big reversal coming along. But you 're missing maybe ten fifteen trades within a well established range, and they might be smaller, sure, but they 're more consistent. The probabilities are higher uh, and I think that really appreciating probability versus size of uh, of position or size of profitability uh, it will level out better over time, and you will see your account grow more consistently slower sure but more consistently instead of having i'm sure many of us have experienced you, you call that big reversal doesn't happen it's in a big gouge in your in your account and it's happened to me many times before yes uh, a big kick in the junk yes yes uh,
1: now one product you can only trade one product what product would you like
2: that's tough um because my heart's really in the options world but uh, if you really want something that can have exposure to everything and it's actually much more simplified and you know it sounds like a plug for what I, I currently do hold on
1: everybody okay sharpen your pencils and write this down <laughs> what do you got John
2: FX um, and spot FX because it's much easier to actually uh, boil down the information so fundamentals and You know, I one of my biggest losses uh, of my entire trading career was seventeen or eighteen at the time. um, Was back when I was trading. uh, I was doing some option spreads on uh, the S and P 500, and then Alan Greenspan came out and said something just out of the blue. The man with his briefcase just he just destroyed my my one spread. I didn't learn my lessons back then until that point. Don't go all in on one trade, Uh, but I learned that really quickly from that one. Um... And I, I realized that you know I, I didn't know what uh, uh, what he was going to do or any future central bankers were going to do. And then I got into shares trading more aggressively and, and options trading on shares uh, into the dot com boom. And obviously all of us were geniuses back then. Though. Those were great days. Uh, but then the bus came along, and you know you don't you don't know when you're going to have an Enron come out. You you don't know oh, when these surprises, exactly. yeah, really? earnings insider trading, and to avoid these things, uh, FX. I mean most of the information information... Information is available. Sure, breaking news comes out, but uh, it's easily read, and it comes out very uh, you know, uniformly across the entire market. And for me and my problems that I've had in trading, that is a huge value. Just having access of information and being able to refine to simple terms, GDP, NFP, trade wars, those are big picture things. I don't want to have to follow Elon Musk and when he's doing interviews and, and what he's saying on Twitter to find out what my Tesla shares are doing. That just gets too... You know that gets that gets too much. I already have to follow President Trump on Twitter, and he, he already says some pretty crazy things. And I'll I'll leave my entertainment at that. But I can't I can't do too much of that.
1: Now you you mentioned when you were seventeen, eighteen, um, our good friend Mister Greenspan. Was that one of the scariest trades that you've ever had?
2: that was the scariest trade can you can break it down a little bit sure so I had essentially uh, a position uh, that I'm looking for no movement into the expiration of the spread Uh, so pretty straightforward Uh, and I had a pretty good uh, straddle on it it didn't it it wasn't too tight I I didn't have a really wide range Uh, but you know, uh, given the a- the ATR at the time, the average true range was is a relatively quiet condition. There's nothing on the on the economic docket. There is no uh, you know global uncertainty at the time, and everything was relatively stable. And it looked like I had four days out to make a really good return. It was going to be like 50% uh, return on capital. Now, of course, I had to really expose myself to get that kind of 50% return. So obviously, there are no free lunches. If you want to get a good return, you got to get uh, put up big risk, but out comes Alan Greenspan and off of, out of queue. This wasn't a rate decision uh, as scheduled normally uh, by the central bank. He just decided to come out and deliver uh, an announcement that he was, I, I believe at the time, cutting rates. And it just sent the markets crazy. Uh, and I blew way beyond that range. And I had no hope of uh, just like trying to back out of that trade for the last minute. The, the uh, volatility was just too extreme. Uh, the implied volatility jumped and the uh, the ability to getting out of that position is non-existent uh, so it, that was a very scary trade and i really learned Quickly, I think one of the lessons that most of us learn along our careers very quickly at that time, uh, do not put on too much risk on any single trade because uh, the unknown happens all the time. And you will get blown up uh, eventually. So you don't want your entire account on uh, on the book if that's going to be the blow up that you have to face. I can
1: relate to that. Now, let me ask you something. When i had a situation like that and when i was in uh in the pit and uh, we had an error or we we missed a fill or we could did you get that tunnel vision where everything just sort of went quiet and there was a little serene a couple seconds of uh, serenity (laughs) and then all of a sudden it, it, it kicked in and it's like okay you know and the thing is too back then there was no timeouts there was no mulligans there was it was deal with it right now or you know what this isn't your this deal with it right now or there's the door
2: yep it's <laughs> you just i think you have that those couple of seconds of of peace because you say well oh, the, the market decided you're done uh, i'm dead <laughs> <laughs> you're done so it's uh, so i guess you can see yourself at the door but then you know, you, you quickly say, all right, how do I salvage myself where well, I'm going to raise more capital? Uh, you know, I have a little account left. How do I get it? You know, you got to really avoid. How am I going to revenge trade my way back to full? Um, you just have to be more practical and, and just just taking a breath and saying, i got to learn from this. this. I won't let this kill me. I'll let this r- really be that, that, that error that I made that I'm going to be better in the future because I won't ever make that mistake again.
1: Right. It's uh, excellent advice now speaking of advice uh, someone just getting started trading now right now in the markets what would
2: you tell them what's your
1: best piece of advice
2: best piece of advice i would tell them to uh, they don't they, they shouldn't feel like they have to put on the money now and they don't have to these big trades. They don't have to, you know, beat your neighbor who seems to be doing you know, so well with his own investment account. We're back in one of those phases where the neighbor who's an idiot is doing really well in the stock market or another market. And I, I just need, I can't let this guy beat me. Um, be patient and really work on a strategy. There's demo accounts galore. You can do a practice account everywhere. I even do practice accounts while I live trade so I have my ongoing strategy and trading that I have in my live accounts and on the side I have demo accounts I'm just testing out other factors if I would have done something slightly different than what I actually did let me use that in my demo account and see how it actually plays out if uh, following the same other rules and you know always be empirical with it and if something isn't working, Get rid of it. There's no reason to try to force anything upon the market, a view or a strategy, an indicator, whatever it is. Just work with what the market gives you. This is not a logical game. This is you're trying to work out the irrationality of a crowd, and that's just something we have to live with. I'm a very uh, rational person, but... If the market's going to be irrational, then I just have to be able to, to roll with those punches. And uh, that's the only way you're going to actually take advantage of it.
1: All right. There's, there's a very important line of survival in this business. And, uh, John, really appreciate you uh, being with us here today. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, DailyFX, uh, you've got the, the, the website at uh, Twitter. Uh, John, where can people find you online? Give us all the information. Let us know because like I mentioned earlier, uh, if you're trading during the day uh, or if you're trading at night, tune in to John's Twitter account and there's information throughout the day and I I was scrolling through it today and I'm like, boy, you know, I I tell you, there's my trading buddy. You know, you're giving me a lot of information. You're asking me a lot of questions. It's very user friendly. How can I get a hold of you online?
2: You can uh, if you go to dailyfx.com and you and about uh, about us and go to the authors page. You can just uh, find my content. You'll find all my tweets aggregated one place. You can also link to my my tweet and pa- my Twitter page and and follow me. Uh, and you can I mean I always do Q and A's once a week typically. So you can bring your trading market or strategy questions. I try to answer any and, and everything as long as it's appropriate. Uh, and uh, people who get at me at Twitter sometimes. Uh, not always uh, having the time since I. I do have to to run a site, but uh, I try my best. And if I don't get uh, replies to people via Twitter or if I don't have time, my Q&As, I often see these questions and I wrap them up into my videos and my articles just as I know it's a common question needs to be answered.
1: All right. Twitter account?
2: Uh, at John Kicklider
1: All right. John Kicklighter. Don't forget that name. That's an awesome name. <laughs> All right. You. John, thanks very much for being with us here and, and maybe down the road, maybe... Beginning of the year, maybe first quarter next year, get you back on again because I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation here today. Sure, absolutely. All right, John, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Take care. Okay, Mark. Now, that was one of my favorite interviews so far. I really like John's point about how Daily FX focuses on analysis by traders for traders,
0: yeah, I think that's one of the the really interesting things about daily DailyFX, right? Is is how they know, and and John reiterated this point over and over and over again about how he knows um, the some of the common pitfalls that traders fall into, and he knows them from firsthand experience. And I think until you have traded, um, you know, you you may look at a market and think one thing, but uh, it's really getting your hands dirty and trading that you kind of see how the uh, the market actually works.
1: You know, I like the way John broke things down. And uh, John, a very uh, intelligent person, uh, and he knows a lot about the markets. But as we were going back and forth, uh, exchanging uh, questions and answers, uh, he sort of filled the field that uh, everybody could understand. And sometimes we do have... Uh, questions that are answered
0: and it's really hard for uh, the beginner uh, to understand so you know to that point about um, his thoughtfulness right Uh, I've been someone who's been very outspokenly on the Top Step FX team where I'm looking for you know the dollar strength this year to continue and then after listening to John and his thoughtfulness and his thoughts about You know, really everything from the trade wars going on to, um, you know, how he kind of sees the dollar weakening, at least in in that, you know, two, five, ten year time frame. Right. As as more international players diversify away from the dollar, something that really challenged my bias. And I think that that's something that's uh, really important.
1: Right. A lot of stuff uh, that he did say. We should have been taking
0: notes. And uh, good thing about the podcast is you could just rewind and listen to it again. That's right. I th- I think this is actually a good one, right? Because there there are a number of things you can um, listen to John's thoughts and take them at face value, but then it's really listening to his thoughts and going that level deeper into how he forms his rationale. That I think is really important for traders to think up. Right? Don't don't go ahead and short the dollar because John said to right. But think about those things that John said that are leading him to have that opinion. Right He built a good case.
1: Yep. so uh, And the thing is, uh, he gave it to us uh, to analyze. And you know like you said, it, it just don't do it because somebody says it, but you know look at what's in
0: front of us and, and piece it together. Be the Columbo in the trading world. Yeah, for sure. Figure yeah. it out, and and particularly if you you have a bias or, or an opinion, right? You have to seek those ideas that are that are different from you, right? There's always someone else on the other side of the trade, and you have to figure out who that person is, what they know, and why they believe what they believe, in order to either confirm your 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 thesis or or you know uh, change your mind, right? You can't think that they're an idiot.
1: Now with him being a trader, he shared some insight also. And uh, I picked up on that uh, for me being a trader and those out there that are listening. Uh, what'd you pick up on that?
0: Yeah. So whether or not you trade Forex, right? Like th- This is a another great interview for you to listen to. Um, the one quote that, that really stuck with me was he said, I'm going to have some losing trades and that's okay. Right? Like e- the, the most successful traders in the world have a 60 55% win rate. It's the idea that their winners more than make up for their losers that makes them successful. Right. And of course, yeah, you know, Mark,
1: success. Everybody's looking for that uh, that winning edge. For so. sure.
0: All
1: right. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, traders, as always, thanks for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to leave us a rating or a review. It helps us reach new traders. And uh, thanks for spending time with us. We'll see you next time. Mark, catch you back here again? Hope so. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye.